0: Father, we are wading into uh, deep waters in what we're talking about these last weeks. Um, we're, we're, ta- we're swimming in, in, in things that we don't fully understand. Would you be kind enough to open our, the eyes of our heart so that we might see um, and speak to us words of truth so that we might know and be sanctified and changed by it? In the great name of Jesus. I pray, amen. We're in this series called Lost. Um, Dina put it up there for you. We're looking at, at least in one way or another, how all of us along the way of life lose a little bit of heart or maybe uh, some of our soul. If you get to be my age or older, you start to think you're losing most of your strength. And on some occasions, we all would acknowledge, especially those of us that are getting older, we are losing a bit of our minds. Now, we looked at the issue of heart over the last couple of weeks. If you, if you weren't able to hear those talks, those are really important things. There was some groundwork laid for the series. You can go back and watch those talks. They're on video, both on our Facebook page and on our web page. So what I would I'd encourage you to do that. Um, but before we get into soul, which is what we're going to do today, I want to go over just a couple of groundwork things that I really would like you to lean into um, uh, as part of this whole series. The first thing is there's an underlying premise to the whole discussion, and it's this. All that you see is not all that there is. If you get nothing out of these talks, walk out after these weeks going, you know, the one thing that I remember that guy saying all the time in that whiny voice was all that you see is not all that there is. We talked about how sometimes every once in a while in our life, the veil gets pulled back and we see things for as they really are, but then... The world, and we're going to talk about that, seems to cover that up quickly. Then I've said to you, if you're here today, if you're in church, you are open to the fact, right, that all that you see is not all that there is. And there there might be a creator or a God that is in charge of these things. I mean, you're here because you're open to that concept, that God might be real and that he might exist. That's a cool thing. Now, there's a second foundational element that I asked you to start to think about if you're going to be intellectually consistent in this discussion, okay? Because, you know, God calls us to think, right? As Christians, we are not called to check our brains at the door and just believe things willy-nilly. But if you're open to the concept of God, if you're open to to believing in, in, in this one that you cannot see, touch, or feel, but yet there's something in you that says, I know, then I would ask you to be open to a second thing. A second, the second concept I'm, I'm asking you to be open to is that you have an enemy in the spiritual realm. An enemy that is actually, and this term has never been better used than now, hell-bent on getting you to lose heart, to just give up, to check out on your hopes and your dreams and your aspirations to just quit, to sit back, to forget it, to give up. I would use battle language because the scripture does. You have an enemy that is hell-bent on taking you out because the truth is there's a battle afoot. And you, you, you could actually change the face of the battle. And your enemy would like nothing better than to take you out, take you out of your family, out of your community, and out of advancing the kingdom of God, and to plant you quite firmly on a couch, saving for retirement so you can do nothing. Now, here's what Jesus said. He said, the greatest commandment, the one upon which all of the other laws hang, is this. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Certainly love, all of this is rooted in love, but the concept is that if you, if we are going to grow to know God, we need to work on our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength because that's how we'll love him best. So I want to introduce you to, again, and we talked about it a few months ago, we're gonna to try to run everything at Mendham Hills now through these four concepts. And you'll see that, that we have some icons down on the bottom. We're putting our curriculum under these icons. Everything we do, we're trying to stick an icon on now. So you'll understand how it relates to the discipleship process. Is and engaging, is, this, is the church hoping that this will train my heart, my soul, my mind, or my strength? We talked about heart over the last couple of weeks, right? Christianity is not merely an intellectual faith. You are actually, saving faith is something that takes place in your heart. Some of the people that know the most about God are the biggest jerks on the face of the earth. You might have run into a couple of them. Because they've never allowed the truth of God to move from their brain to their hearts. The longest 18 inches on earth, they say. This is why, and I've met folks, right? This is why we need to work on our hearts. And, and, you know, there's things like emotionally healthy spirituality and lots of things here where we we can try to deal with the things that have not allowed our hearts to be changed. This is why husbands, right, sometimes it's hard for us to love our wives because our heart hasn't been changed. We know we should love our wives, but it's hard to love our wives. We know we should have certain discussions with our children, but it's hard to have those discussions right? We need to engage our hearts. So if you are a small group leader and all you ever take your, your small group through is mission and Bible, you need to train your, your small group. You need to train your family, parents, in issues of the heart. You know, this, uh, look at your past. Don't be one of those people that go, nope, nope, nope. I just need the Bible. I don't need to look at anything in my past. I don't need to, to figure out what, you know, why I act this way, why I treat people this way. You do. Okay, that, that's number one. Number two is, is soul. We're going to talk about that today. That icon of soul is going to remind us of how important the scriptures are actually to our faith. We'll talk about that in a second. The, set, the third thing is going to be mind. This is the light bulb. This is the way I think about it, right? Just because I came to Christ, just because I have this new life in my spirit and I'm growing in God, it doesn't mean I know how to fly an airplane now. I, I have been born again in my spirit but I can't fly a plane. And so why, just because I've been born again in my spirit, do I think I now know how to love my wife? Or, uh, or manage my finances? Or parent my kids? And so as a church, we need to give our people, we need to give them tools so that they can actually do these things that the Scriptures call us to that, that would actually help provide some freedom in our lives. So you'll see along the way, we'll do things um, like Financial Peace University, right? Right? Uh, this uh, coming uh, spring, we're going to be doing a family series. We're going to be asking some of our small groups. We're going to have classes on, on parenting and, 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 um, and uh, marriage. because We want to give you tools. Okay, so, so that's mine. And finally, strength. We'll talk about that at the end of the series. That's going to have to do with mission and service and what we talked about this morning, about Guatemala and Pine Ridge and all the rest. But this morning, I want to talk about soul. And soul might be a little bit of the most confusing one in the series uh, and in the model. Let me explain why. There's an underlying scripture here. And it's this. The writer of Hebrews said it in chapter 4, verse 12. He said, the word of God, okay, the Bible, as most of us would would know it, the Bible, the word of God, is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing, catch this now, soul and spirit. Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Last week we talked about the heart, okay? What this scripture is saying is the, the Word of God, the Bible, actually has a special ability. Traditionally, this has been viewed as saying this. There is a power in the inspired Word of God, in the Holy Scriptures... The Bible is not just a, a oftentimes, cheaply leather-bound book of ink blobs on paper. There is something alive in there. There is something spiritual in there. There is something something, uh, that has power. All that I see is not all that there is. Relates to the Word of God. There is power in these words, and they have impact on your soul. What did Sarah just say? And we didn't organize this, but what did she say? She said, there came a time in my life when I had a crisis and all of a sudden something came back to me, came alive to me from my childhood and it was the word of God and it helped me how to live. There's power here. Scripture's teaching, let let me straighten this up. Every man that's ever lived has a soul all of us whether we believe in god or not all of us are eternal beings dwelling in earthly bodies one of our elders sent me a quote uh, last week he said this reminds me of what we're talking about the quote was we're not human beings having a spiritual experience we are spiritual beings having a human experience you see all of us have a soul when Courtney was little, she was my firstborn, and when somebody close to us had died, uh, I was trying to explain it, and she was a little afraid. And I've told somebody this story before. I grabbed her arm, and I'm knocking on her arm. And I'm looking at her arm, and I'm going, Court, you in there, Court? And she's going, I'm not in there. And I'm like, well, where are you? And she goes, I'm up here. So you know, I came around, I looked at her, and I came around the side of her head, and I knocked on the side of her head. Court, you in there? She goes, now she was a little confused. And she goes, no. And I said, where are you? And she goes, I'm in here, but that's not me. I said, Court, that's because you're a soul living in a body. And one day that body won't be around anymore, but that soul is going to go on and on and on. And that's you and I. We have souls. Each of us, it's a part of the human condition. Now, many theologians have argued That there is a spirit though, there is soul and spirit, there is a spirit which comes alive in a man that is different than merely his immortal soul. Our souls, both folks that follow God and don't, are, 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 are part of the human experience. But the spirit of man is renewed as he, and connected to God. And life starts to flow through your spirit as you connect to God. In your spirit is where you are born anew. When a man gives his life back over to God through saving faith in Jesus. And so your soul, your soul is the seat of your conscience, your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's what everybody has. But your spirit is where God does this work. Paul put it like this. He wrote most of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. He said, the natural man, those who just have a soul, they don't receive the things of the Spirit of God because you ever meet somebody and you're talking to them about God and it's just getting nowhere? And you're like, how come come there's nothing coming back from you? You don't seem engaged in this at all. You're not interested. You don't get it at any level. This is what Paul would say. He'd say, the natural man doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So what's the point of all this? It's this. If we're going to love God with our souls, our inner man, it's going to happen as our spirit comes alive and our souls are penetrated and what penetrates our soul and separates it gets through our soul to our spirit. The scripture teaches it is the living and active word of God. That's why the Bible is important. It's not important because it contains history of the world. I mean, sure, there's some importance there. It's not important because it contains the story of the people of God. Yes, that's important, but that's not the most most important reason. It's important because it is living and active and can get through all of the defense mechanisms of your mind and your heart and your soul and get into your spirit and change you and bring life. That's why the Bible's important. If you're going to love God, if we together as a church are going to love God, we have to be lovers of his word. If you're going to love God, you can't just love the thought of God. Together, we have to become lovers of His Word because it's the Word that changes us. There's power in it. They're not just ink blobs. All that you see there is not all that there is. There is power, soul piercing, soul dividing power for you. Now, if your soul can be penetrated by the Word of God and it can bring life to your spirit, if it can revive who you are, if it can change the inner man, guess what? Just like your heart, it has an enemy. It's not just going to come alive without a fight. Your soul, your spirit are not going to be changed without a fight. There is a cosmic war afoot to keep you from believing the truths of the scripture which could transform your lives. I talked to you about one enemy you have last week that is trying very hard to kill off your heart. Today I want to introduce to you a second enemy. We as Christians, the Bible actually teaches we're up against three things. And we're going to talk about another one later in the series. You have a second enemy. And it's probably more insidious than the first. Now, one of the enemies we talked about when we talked about our heart, there's a specific spiritual foe. The Bible uses different names to describe them. You might know them as, as the devil or, or Satan or Lucifer. I think I saw there's a new TV show, right? The culture tells you about the devil. Your mom and dad taught you about the devil. When you were a kid, right, Bugs Bunny had the devil and an angel on one shoulder and a devil on another. Like, we all know the devil. It's kind of built into what's going on. But there is a truth to this. The truth of the scripture is this, that there was once a fallen angelic being who now is anything less and he wages a demonic battle against your soul. If you're, I know that can sound crazy, but if you're open to the fact that there might be God and a heavenly host of angels, to be intellectually consistent, I would ask you to be open to the fact that there might be opposition forces in the spiritual realm. And here's what I want you to understand. There is a second force that is sent against you. Your battle is bigger than just the devil. It's more insidious than that. Here's what Paul, how Paul, who wrote, again, most of the New Testament, described it when he was trying to explain it to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, look, our struggle, our battle, what you guys feel in your day-to-day life, isn't against flesh and blood. What Paul is saying is, this isn't, against, this isn't the United States versus ISIS. This isn't a Republican or Democrat thing. He says, our battle is against rulers and authorities and the powers of this dark world. Okay, this is the demonic leader. This is Satan and, and this demonic legion of followers he has. So that's the first thing. We just talked about that, but check this out. Then Paul says, and, and you have another battle against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And, Paul says, and against spiritual forces in heavenly realms. Paul says, there is a force at work. There is a power at work in an unseen realm around us. To put more clarity on it, he he says this in Ephesians chapter two, written to the same church. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, right? You, You had a soul, but your spirit had not yet been reborn in you. In which you used to live when you followed, church, The ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So it's not that there's just a devil out there. And by the way, the devil is not like God. The devil is not omnipresent. The devil is not around every corner. The devil is not in the details. The devil is not in your kid. The devil is not, you know, he's not likely sitting in your car on the way home. He is not like God omnipresent. But because he's not omnipresent, he has set up in the world, what the scripture calls a fallen world we live in, a second enemy that is, in a sense, in the air, in the ways of the world as you know it, in the systems of the world, in the way the world operates and works, in the way of what the world teaches, what the world honors, what the world celebrates, what the world bemoans and decries and judges. This is a system. We were all born into it. We operate in it. If we learn its ways, we're successful. If we don't learn its ways, oftentimes we're not. The Bible teaches that the system is our enemy and it is fighting for your soul. And we breathe it in and we pass it on. We spend most of our lives not even realize we're living it out. That's why it's so insidious. That's why it's so much more dangerous against you in a fact than the devil himself is. The devil is likely not messing with you. The world system that you've been born into is likely what you're experiencing pushback in day after day after day. Now, how does this fallen world system, the ways of the world, how does it fight you? Well, it does it the same way the devil does through lies that you have come to believe that are so deeply embedded that you aren't even aware of, common things that underlie the way the whole world works, lies like might makes right, Lies like only the strong survive, lies like all that matters is how much I get, how big my house is, how successful my career is, how nice my car is, how well my kids do in athletics. These things are so important. Lies like you're no different than an animal, you're just more highly evolved. Lies like life is only worth living under certain circumstances, otherwise it's just disposable. Lies like I have to come through for myself. Lies like I'm a self-made man. Lies like I don't need anybody else in my life. Lies like all that matters is my personal happiness. All I want for my kids is for them to be happy. The whole world system is hung on these things. They're deep and profound and audacious, and there's lots of them. And I breathe it in, and I pass it on, and I participate in it. Now, for the Christians in the room, let me ask you a question. I don't want you to answer it out loud, but I want you to think about it in your head. If I were to ask you, why did Jesus come, what would you say? Just say it to yourself. Because in the Scriptures, He's actually asked this by a ruling authority of His day. It gives a really simple, profound, objective answer. And almost nobody knows it. But, when you start to understand that we are entering a battle zone, we are born into a battle zone where our hearts and minds and soul and strength are at stake, it'll make perfect sense to you. You'll never forget it. You know the story. Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate. His ministry is wrapping up. He's, he's on the, the verge of uh, uh, being taken out and crucified. And it starts in John 18, verses 33 to 37. Dean has got a pretty cool picture uh, of it. This is what the scripture says. Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. Get that? My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. See, that's what would make sense in this world system. They would fight to keep me out of here. But my kingdom is not of this world's system. He says, my kingdom is from another place. Oh, so you're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus said, you say I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is... Anybody? Anybody? Nobody knows, right? It's really hard, right? Like, it doesn't, it doesn't jump out at us. You would think those of us that have given our entire lives to this man would be able to go, oh, I know why. Here's what Jesus said in verse, verse 37. He said, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. The reason I was born, the reason I came into the world is to testify to the truth. Jesus could have said a million things to the ruling authorities of his day. He could have said, I came to save, I came to forgive, I came to redeem, I came to rescue, I came to ransom. All the things we sing about every Sunday, but when given the chance to explain himself, Jesus said, my whole point is coming is this, to testify to the truth. And why would he say that? Because truth is really important when the whole world is living under a lie. Really important. Jesus, if it sounds familiar to hear Jesus and truth in the same sentence, it's because 70 time, 75 times in Scripture, Jesus would start a, a teaching by saying, I tell you. The truth. Why? Because most people are not. In the book of John, 25 times, Jesus starts a teaching with the double emphatic, truly, truly, I'm telling you this. You know what the word he used there is? Amen. Every time you've ever prayed, you've ended by saying, truly, truth, truth, truth. Jesus, in John 14, he tells people, he says, in 14.6, he goes, I am the way and I am the truth. And I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And we get that he's the way and the life, but what does it mean that he's the truth? The scripture says that we're to worship God in spirit and in. Jesus says in John 8, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, hang with me on that verse for a minute. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You might remember when Jesus first started his ministry, he goes into the temple. He stands up at the front of it, and here comes his opening words. Three years of ministry, here's his opening words. He says, I have come to set the captives free. It actually fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy. You might remember that. Now let me ask you, did Jesus mean I'm going to go into the jails and I'm going to set free all of the looters and the murderers and and, and, and they're all, I'm going to get them free? Or could it have been that he was simply saying what he was going to say to Pilate at the end of his ministry? I have come to set free those who have been held captive by the lies of the world and I'm going to do it because I'm going to show them the truth. Lies take us captive. Lies capture us. Deceit is at the heart of every sin that's been committed. Some of you know that in the Bible. in Ephesians, Paul talks about this war that we're in, the battle that we're in. He says, "Put on the full armor of God." Anybody know what the first thing he says to put on is? The belt of truth. You're in a battle for your soul. The battle is against the systems of the world which have been built lie upon lie upon lie. Jesus actually outlines this in Pi- when he finishes with Pilate. He says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He says, there's two sides. There's lies and there's truth. And in between lies the battle for your soul. This has been the cosmic battle from day one. It's never changed. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What's he doing? Here, here it comes. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. And here it comes. You will not certain he die? You see, God says, you will die if you eat of this. Don't eat of this. I love you. Don't eat of this. And the evil one comes and says, you won't die. It's, he goes on, the serpent said to the woman, God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. See, the lie is always the same. You can actually be God. You could get enough money. You could get enough stuff. You could get enough love where you won't even need to worry about God anymore. You could be God. It's all about you. The lie never changed. Jesus reframes the battle in John chapter 8 when he says this. He's talking about this adversary of your soul. He said he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you don't believe in me. I came to testify to the truth. I came to tell you the truth, but you don't believe me. And the battle isn't changed. It's the same battle. You will not surely die. You can be like God. It's the ultimate lie of the world. It's all about you. And so, with your soul in the middle, there stands this epic battle between a kingdom of truth and a kingdom built on lies. And it wages and it comes into your hearts and your minds and your souls 24-7. It comes through the radio. It comes through the TV. It comes through the phone. It comes through the Internet. It just keeps coming to your home. Go home today and just watch a half hour of television, a half hour of it, and say to yourself, every time something comes through on a commercial or some teaching of the TV show, go, is that the truth of God as I understand it to be in the Scripture, or is that a lie of the world that just came in and I just took it in? I could give you example after example, right? The truth of God regarding unity. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave and unite to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Truth claim of God, found in the Bible. What's the world system advocate about marriage? You don't even need it anymore. doesn't matter. When you get tired of it, get out of it. Truth claim about the, in the Scripture, We're one day we will all be judged for what we've done. Those of us that are in Christ, the blood of Christ, he will have paid the penalty for us. But those of us that have not, everyone is responsible for what's happened. What is the world teaching terms of personal responsibility? It's not my fault. It's her fault. It's his fault. What's the first thing Adam does? It's that woman you gave me. Systems are built on this stuff. And so you start to see through a myriad of topics, there's a battle of worldviews, there's a claims of truth by God, and there's the claims of the world, the things that are present in the systems in the air. Pick any claim of truth from God's point of view, and you'll almost always get the counterpoint. Think about it, right? Who is man? God says that man is the pinnacle of creation. He's created in the very image of God. He has profound dignity and glory. He actually has been, God breathed life into him. But if I, if I listen to the voices of the world, here's what I'm told, that he is random and chance. He wasn't actually created. He's just uh, luck born out of cosmic stuff in the universe. I mean, what else did God, what else does the Bible tell us about man? It says, as much as he was wonderfully and fearfully created, he also has in deep in his soul a brokenness. Which plays itself out that he's ultimately sinful and far and far short of the glory of God. But what does the world tell us? That man is not basically sinful. That man is basically good. And you should just follow your heart. Don't do that. Don't do that. But the Bible says your heart is ultimately wicked until it's reborn by God. Don't follow your heart. How about, uh, what else did God tell us? Uh, how about Our money. The scripture says everything is mine and I've given it to you for your benefit and enjoyment, but be responsible stewards of it. What does the world tell us about our money? It's all mine, it's all private. What I do with it is my business. How I spend it is, is my, my own business, and I, want, I would like to spend it. It's all important to me, it's important about accumulating wealth for me. I have no responsibility for anybody else. How about our sexuality? What does the world tell us about our sexuality, the gift of sexuality? What is is the Bible? What is the the truth? Paul says it all comes down to this, Romans chapter 1, verse 25. He goes, here's what everybody's done. They've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they've worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. We, We fell for it. And we breathe it in. So let me ask you, as you go out today, have you exchanged the truth about God for a lie? Has it led you to serve created things rather than the creator? I mean, have you believed the lie that everything we know and see simply exists by random chance Have you looked at the mathematical odds of you sitting in this room right now? Do you know the odds of that? You would never bet on that in a casino, but you will believe it? You're not random. But if you believe that, it impacts your soul. How many of you know the Big Bang Theory? Raise your hand if you know the Big Bang Theory, if you've heard of it. Now, raise your hand if you know what, where the elements came from, what science, where science says the elements came from that started the Big Bang Theory. Raise your hand. One, I think. The answer is, they don't have an answer. They can't come up with it. It's a question mark, essentially. But we We believe. Have you believed the lie that you're a purposeless blob of mass randomly selected by the chance collecting of cosmic dust to live at this time? Because if you believe that, it impacts your soul. Have you believed the lie that what matters most for you or your kids is their personal happiness? Do you define it that way? How do you define it? Because if you believe that, it impacts your soul. Have you believed the lie that what your past says about you is who you are? That your job level defines who you are? That your title says something about your value? This is so deep. I mean, in me, I've told you this before. When I'm out with people and they ask me what I do, why is it, why is it, church, that I will tell people I'm a pastor, but I always have to somehow work the in that I was a private equity investor to? Why? Because there's something deep in me that says that validates who I am. I'm smart. Why? We take it all in, right? Have you believed the lie that doctors are more important than ditch diggers? That models are more beautiful than moms? Have you believed the lie the culture has sold you about your marriage? That there's this soulmate out for you and once you find him, everything's just going to be perfect because he's going to complete you. Nobody was created to complete you. The only thing that will complete you is God. The rest is a lie. It sounds good, but it's unbiblical. It's not true. But we take it in. And when that soulmate leaves his underwear on the floor for the fifth day in a row, (laughs) the culture says, get out. There's another who will put it in the laundry. Right? We buy into it. So much of it sounds so good. Have you believed the lie that sex is just sex? That it's actually not ordained or constrained by the truth of its creator? Do you really believe in in the face of what even social scientists will tell you now, that sex doesn't have an impact on your soul? If you believe that, it's a lie. And it's impacting your soul. Do you believe that all roads lead to heaven? That all religions are basically the same? That as long as we're all basically good and as long as I didn't kill anybody, well, then God just owes it to me. Because that's, that's, that's the lie that the world hangs on. Because if you believe it, it will impact your soul. I thought about this as I was reflecting on it, the lies that bother me the most. I'll just share them with you. They have to do with my kids. Um, One is, you know, I've raised two girls and two boys, and one of the lies of the culture that ticks me off the most is when I have to watch my, I've had to watch my young middle school daughters fuss about makeup and hair for an hour before school to go impress 7th grade boys. It's disgusting. It's a lie of the world. The other lie that bothers me about my sons is that their masculinity as men is defined by who they can beat up or how successful they are in some sport. It's a lie, but I buy into it. Caleb yesterday finished, give him a shout out, finished third in Morris County in the Morris County Wrestling Tournament. Should have finished second. There was a seating issue there that I... (laughs) Clearly he was the second best wrestler, but he couldn't, there's a long story there. And uh, I was uh, thinking about it this morning, uh, and uh, as I was thinking about it, that was my uh, eighth straight year of the Morris County Wrestling Tournament. See, there, I just did it. You'll catch it in a minute. And I thought to myself, you know, I I really, that was my last chance. And think about what I just said. My last chance. I've never wrestled a match in my life. But somehow I craved... Inside, Yes, some of it for my son. Yes, I wanted my son to be successful. But there's something in me that wanted a little bit of the glory of having my son in the finals too. It's deep. You're swimming in it. We're breathing it in. And we're passing it on. Jesus, when he had the opportunity to explain himself, said this. To you parents of little girls and little boys, he said, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. He is the truth. He knows the truth. He's the fountainhead of truth. And the truth will set you free from the lies that have ensnared you and our kids and our souls You know what Jesus' final prayer for you was? He was getting ready to go to the cross in John chapter 17. Here's what he said to his dad. He said, my prayer isn't that you would take them out of the world. The world. And its systems. And its lies. My, My prayer is that you wouldn't take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They're not of this world, because they've got something new reborn in them, in their spirit, even as I'm not of it. And then he said this, Father, sanctify them, make them holy by the truth. Your word is truth. If we are going to win the battle for the souls of our children, if you are going to win the battle for your soul... We're going to have to overcome the lies of the air and the culture and the world systems. And in order to do that, you and I have to pursue and know truth. And I don't want to sound like a Bible thumper up here, but I have to tell you, there is one source of truth. It is Jesus Christ, and by his own admission, it is the word of God. That is the truth. And that's why it's important. And that's why it should be revered. So band, come up. You're in, a way, you're in a war for your heart. And there's an evil one that would love nothing more than to ensnare you, take you out and sit you on a couch. And you are in a war for your soul. And he has set up, brilliantly so, systems and cultures and powers that are just in the air we take them in and we operate and we spend most of our lives trying to figure out how to be successful in them, my prayer for you is that you would would come to value the word of God, the truth of the scriptures so highly that you, you would desire it the truth that you would want to take it in, not because you you need to know uh, the the history of the world. Yes, the Bible talks about creation, but that is not why the Bible is is so important. Yes, the Bible tells the story about the people of God, but that is not why it's so important. Here's what the Bible is. It is the living, breathing, active voice of truth, that will pierce your soul. And until each of us want it, as much as a drowning man wants oxygen, it will be very hard to swim out of the lies. Let me pray. Father, need your help. Need the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, which you said would lead us into all truth. Lord, we need the power of the Spirit to guide us, to point us towards you. Because you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we are not cosmic goo. We are ordained sons and daughters of the Most High God. Made beautiful by your Son, created to live eternally, side by side with one another, and with our brother Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.